Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. In the previous episode, we observed that Jesus was talking to his disciples and giving them a fuller meaning of what the law intended to do and to accomplish. We looked at a couple of examples in the previous episode, and we'll look at the rest of the ones that Jesus provides in this episode. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, and follow along while I read. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Again, Jesus begins with a law that had been given by Moses. And by the time of Jesus, religious leaders had come up with all sorts of ideas on how to keep this law and things that they could do that would be loopholes, ways around the law. You couldn't break an oath that you had made invoking the name of God, but if you invoke something else and broke that oath, it was okay. So Jesus says you kind of missed the point of the whole law. So it seems there were some in Jesus' time who had gone to great lengths to use oaths and swearing and and making vows in a way that manipulated the circumstance, that helped them get what they wanted and eliminated consequences if they decided to break it. But Jesus lets them know, God's not looking for people who have mastered getting their own way by making promises. God is looking for people who wouldn't dare manipulate their circumstances, especially by being dishonest. These people who wouldn't dare to manipulate their circumstances with promises are are people who don't do things to please people. Everything is done for God. Notice that when Jesus says it doesn't make sense to invoke other things to, to make an oath, he says it's because they all go back to God. What you're saying and doing should be done for God, not for other people. You shouldn't be looking for ways to circumvent what you say to other people. Also, these people would never drag God into a place he doesn't want to be. And God doesn't want to be a part of something that's used for deception or manipulation. And so if you're invoking something else in God's creation to make a lesser oath, something that you don't mind breaking, God doesn't want to be a part of that. So don't use God or his creation. Ultimately, God is looking for people who don't make excuses to avoid keeping their commitments. This is very important because God has asked us to make a commitment to him. When we go to God and we surrender and say that we will follow his son uh, to the point of death, we are making a solemn vow. We are invoking an oath, and it's an oath to God. 
God wants us to be trustworthy, to be faithful in keeping that commitment. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, Peter has been talking about Noah and his family being rescued by the floodwaters, and he makes a comparison between that event and our baptism, and he says it's the way that we seal the commitment that we've made to God. 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says, in baptism, it's not about getting wet and washing yourself off to be clean. It's about sealing the covenant you've made, coming to God with no ulterior motive, but having a clear conscience. Peter, in that same letter, also says that our conduct, our words, whether or not we keep our word, reflects on the credibility of our witness about Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he writes, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's important that we not be manipulative, especially with our words, that we not try to coerce or get our own way, because those same words are the ones that we have to lift up Jesus with, that we have to explain Jesus to others with. And if people can't trust what we say, they may doubt Jesus. Another example Jesus uses of bringing fuller meaning to the law begins in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, where it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you? Jesus is referencing a law given in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21. And there, Moses gives the law it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And God had given this law not to make sure everyone received justice, but to make sure that those who had been offended did not go too far in trying to settle the score. But unfortunately, many in Jesus' time had reduced it to only that. And Jesus said that God's not looking for people who can settle the score without going too far. He's looking for people who would not dare withhold mercy. Because God has been merciful to us, we should pay that mercy forward. So a person who would not dare withhold mercy is one who is not concerned with making things fair. We get caught up in that sometimes. We kind of keep score and you did more bad things to me than I've done to you, so I owe you one. Or I didn't get what I deserve, so I should get more. The person who is abundant in mercy, who is a merciful person, is not concerned with making things fair. They're concerned with helping people where they are, giving them more than they deserve so that they can work themselves out of bad situations and find themselves closer to God. These people also realize their own need for mercy. Uh, they wouldn't dare withhold mercy from another person because they understand how 
desperately they need mercy in their life. They also realize that God is a better judge of the appropriate punishment than they are. So they leave revenge to God. They actually trust God to repay and don't feel any compulsion or need to get people back themselves. The brother of Jesus, James, uh, writes in his letter in James chapter 2, verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Very often we talk about God's judgment and him going to set things right with the world. But we have to remember we're a part of that. And if we get exactly what we deserve, we'll miss out on eternity with God too. But because of Jesus, God is willing to show us mercy, to not give us what we deserve, but to cut us a break. And James says here, if we will not show that mercy to others, God will withhold that mercy from us. And Luke in his gospel in chapter six, verse 36 tells us that Jesus said, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. We have an obligation to pay forward the mercy that God has shown us. One other example that Jesus gives in bringing fullness to the meaning of God's commandments uh, is in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. There it says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here Jesus is referring to a law given in Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Unfortunately, by Jesus' time, folks had said, Well, he said, Love our neighbor. If someone is not neighborly to us, we have no obligation to love them. It's okay to hate our enemy. And so if we hate our enemy, we don't have to do nice things for them. We don't have to be kind to them. We can withhold kindness. They understood they weren't supposed to do bad things to people, but they didn't have to do kind things to people who had upset them. But Jesus lets them know God's not looking for those who never do bad things to other people. He's looking for those who actively do good things for everyone. Jesus is describing people who are unwilling to withhold kindness. They are looking to do kindness to anyone and everyone where it's helpful. And these kind of people are people who don't see others as good or bad. He sees them as people. He describes here God letting rain fall on the just and the unjust, letting the sun rise on evil and good. There are certain kindnesses, there are certain blessings that God gives to all humanity because they're his creation, they're people. The design is that they would see those blessings and honor the one who gave them. Not everyone does, but God refuses to withhold things that people need for life. Since he gave them life, he wants to help sustain it. These people are also folks who would never punish someone who actually needs prayer. 
Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If people are lashing out at you and uh, taking advantage of you, hurting you in any kind of way, they're in a place where they need help. They need God to transform their life. They actually need your prayers, not your punishment. And Jesus says, these people are also folks who see no value in loving people based only on the way that they're treated. If I only return kindness when I receive kindness, eventually I won't be doing kind things for anyone. We live in a world where people too often only do good for those that they like or that benefit them in some way. God said that's not the way he had handed out his mercy and shown his love. So he expects his disciples to be better than that, to see people as people and treat them accordingly not see them as the behavior that they've done. Ultimately, these are people who are seeking perfection. I think that last phrase gives us a little pause because Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we think no one is perfect, but God and and Jesus. But how can we be perfect? And why would uh, Jesus say this? I think very often we're eager to explain this away rather than understand what Jesus said and live it out. Perfection here is not the absence of mistakes. And very often, unfortunately, that's what we reduce that word to. This is a word that is very similar to our word for maturity and growing up and becoming what we were intended to be. God created human beings to be a a certain way, to have certain characteristics, to cling to him for all that they needed. And in doing that, The main thing that would show through in all of God's humanity is our love for one another. God wants us to love each other the way he loves us. He wants our love to reach its completion, its fulfillment, so that it is touching all of the lives that cross our path. The Apostle John writes about this in 1 John 4, verse 12, where he writes, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, I think we have a difficult time even grasping how that works. But the Apostle John says it is absolutely possible to perfect that kind of love, to have God abide in us and have that love come out through us, that we can reflect the very love of God in the world that we live in, make it a better place, and draw people closer to God. And in that way, achieve the purposes for which we were created, for which we were renewed, for which we were redeemed. And in that way, we are perfect as our Father is perfect. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.